Ladies and gentlemen, let's talk brass taps and tasty snacks. Let's talk the Handlebar Chico. They are a craft beer bar and restaurant right here in Chico on the south end of town, and they have a happy hour seven darn days a week from 2 to 6 p.m. You get a dollar off all of their draft beers. They have 28 on tap for your selection. Try them all if you want. Again, that's the Handlebar right here in town, located at 2070 East 20th Street. Again, their happy hour is seven days a week from 2 to 6 p.m. Go check them out. Handlebar Chico. Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Hey, welcome to Fresh Hop Cinema. This is a craft beer and movie podcast and sometimes radio show based in Chico, California, and I am Max Minardi. Johnny Summers here. What's happening? This week on the show, our review of Violent Night, uh, at least 2022's penultimate Christmas movie that subverts the expectations of Santa Claus starring David Harbour. We're going to talk about that more in just a little bit here. But first, Johnny Summers, what are we drinking? We are doing two beers from a brewery called Temblor Brewing out of Bakersfield, California. The first one is a mixed berry creamsicle that is a fruited, possibly smoothie sour. There's not much online about that one. Uh, And then the second beer is a chocolate pecan porter. Wonderful. If you're listening on KZFR 90.1 FM, we hope you're having a terrific Thursday evening. But as a quick heads up, you're only going to be hearing the first 30 minutes of our show, which includes our first beer review, of course, and the spoiler-free portion of our discussion of Violent Night. But if you are so inclined to listen to the show in its entirety, which includes spoilers for Violent Night, a second beer, and the always tantalizing segment, Hot and Bothered, Johnny will tell you what to do. Yeah, go search for the Fresh Hop Cinema Podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, etc. We release new episodes every Friday morning at 7 a.m. and have been doing so since 2016 when we started. Uh, If you like the show, feel free to leave us a five-star rating and or review on Apple Podcasts. And if you do that, just go ahead and let us know that you did. Uh, To hang out with us on social media, search Fresh Hop Cinema on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, or Untapped, or just head over to our website, freshhopcinema.com. Or... Head over to what is not our website, but a website that we are on, which is Patreon. And it's a way to support our show financially for as many dollars per episode as you'd like. And in return uh, or in exchange, we give you access to bonus content, invites to exclusive events. Um, By the time this episode airs, we will have had a bar hang down at Burgers and Brew uh, this past Wednesday. So I'm presuming and I hope I hope I'm okay saying this. It was a great time. We had a lot of fun. It's that's never not been the case. So. Um, if that sort of stuff appeals to you, you can find us on patreon.com slash fresh hop cinema, super easy to sign up. And, uh, every little bit of support goes a really long way, uh, towards us keeping the show running and, and doing fun things like that stuff. Am I missing That's anything? It. Yeah. And if you're lucky and you're on Patreon, you might get a birthday shout out. We don't have any patrons birthdays, but it is my niece's birthday. Happy birthday, Jessica. She just turned 21 today. So she is my new target audience to get her in Patreon. She won't make any other events though because she lives in Texas right now. But it's, it's wait, it's funny you say that because we actually did have a birthday that we needed to shout out. I don't know if were you just leading me into that one? You teeing me up? Oh, you ruined it. But yeah, no, I wasn't actually. I didn't see it in the calendar. I was double checking. Yeah, well, so shout out to our patron Matea. It was her birthday on the ninth, which means um, that you know we we missed it technically, but this is the next time we recorded together. So happy birthday, Matea. Well, there you go. Happy birthday. Great. Um, anything else on Patreon that I am missing, sir? Mm, no, it's a lot of fun. And uh, oh, shout out to Trevor, brand new patron. That's the other thing. Nice job. Yeah. 
Yeah, Trevor hopped on the other day. I haven't even, um, I don't know any of the details. I haven't even opened that email yet. I was uh, ill-prepared for today, incidentally, because I am ill today. So uh, that's where I'm at. <laughs> well, you get a pass. Yeah, I thanks, opened man. the email and shout out to the new homie on Patreon. He's a homie in real life, and now he's a homie online, too. Homie squared. So shout out, Love Trevor. It. Thanks for joining, man. Appreciate it. Okay, now are we missing anything else for Patreon? I think we're good. Okay, Johnny Summers, tell me about, firstly, this brewery, and then we'll get into our first beer, if you would. Yeah, so like uh, this is our first time reviewing beers from Temblor. I have seen them around a little bit. I have never tried any of their beers either in my personal life away from the podcast. So this mm. will be a first for me completely. Very excited. Uh, Temblor Brewing from their website, I will read. Uh, Temblor Brewing Company founded in 2015 in the heart of the Golden Empire is a locally owned microbrewery, brew pub, venue, and comedy club. Our 20,000 square foot facility is dedicated to high quality craft beer and food, as well as the most exciting weekly events in Bakersfield. Located on Buck Owens Boulevard, just off the 99, Temblor is also a favorite California tourist stop. Our award-winning beers are shipped and distributed throughout California. We are proud to call the streets of Bakersfield our home. Entertain your craft. Well, slogan. So, yeah, cool. Yeah, so it's a little bit about them. Buck Owens, the famous uh, country western singer. Am I right? I I don't know, but that sounded like something. I just had no idea, but it definitely sounded like a thing that I should have known. Yeah, absolutely. There's been a few songs about Bakersfield. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of songs about passing through Bakersfield. Well, it didn't... Um, Oh, what's his name? He was an actor for a minute. He was Heath Ledger. In, no, uh, act, he's a singer mainly. Uh, uh, Elvis. Was all, no, okay. I'll look it up. It does not matter. I'll I think, think both of, of those it. deserve There's, points, but okay, fine. Dwight Yoakam has a song oh. about uh, streets of Bakersfield, I believe. All right. Well, if, yeah, great. Maybe. If you want to fact check if, it, awesome. If not, it's not going to bother <laughs> yeah. me one bit because I've Fair gone this enough. long without knowing it. Yeah, it's um, a good song. It's got a like a mariachi like um, accordion in it. It's pretty rad. Yeah, fun. All right, what's beer number one, dude? Beer number one, mixed berry creamsicle. It is a fruited slash possibly smoothie sour, like I was saying. Uh, it is eight percent ABV, and mixed berry creamsicle is an ale brewed with copious amounts of boysenberry, raspberry, and blueberry puree, teamed up with lactose and vanilla. It's the perfect balance of tart, sweet, and creamy. No, it's not. No, oh, it's really? Not. No, it's not. And that's just me on the first taste. And I might have a different flavor in my mouth. Also, I am, I, I should say this once, like a little bit more elaborately. I, I've got a bit of a stuffy nose today. I've had a sore throat for about a day. Um, it's not COVID. I checked that, but it is not going away. And I think it's messing with my sense of taste. Um, so that's my caveat for the week. But this is, I would not call it the perfect balance of tart, sweet, and creamy. It feels very tart, even bitter. I don't taste a lot of sweetness or creaminess, but Johnny, have you had a chance to try it? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's not nearly as um, fruit forward or like sweetness forward. No. Like creamsicle is, you no. know, fruit and milk and very ice creamy, very smooth. And I'm wondering why they even put lactose in this beer. I know. This I just not. I gave my can a swirl to see if, if maybe some stuff had settled. And, and I don't see anything different in my second pour here. Um, I'm also kind of shocked this is 8%. Yeah. I mean, not that it me tastes too. so smooth that I'd be like, yeah, like there's no way, but it also doesn't strike me as super strong. No, I get real hard candy vibes from this and not like the good stuff, mm, like yeah. the cheap. You ever just have like a disc of purple, you know, a in disc of purple. You know, a, a candy dish. It's like, it's a clear <laughs> plastic cellophane wrapped, just disc of purple yeah, candy maybe, or maybe just the generic red, blue, purple 
hard yeah. candies. You'd get it at like the dollar store. Um, it reminds me of that. And there's a mustiness mm-hmm. to this mm-hmm. that almost tastes like the fruit is like almost overripe in a bad way. I, it, it gets very, ah, uh, musty's a real good word musty's, for it. You're not, absolutely right. It almost, I think, it, you know, looking at the can, they, they've showcased a couple fruits. There's blackberries, raspberries, and blueberries. And I would... I would go out on a limb and say that, yeah, like maybe we could say there's a very, and when, sometimes, yeah, you hinted at this. When we say overripe, often on this show, it's it's a really good quality. It's suggesting mm-hmm. sort of a, a turned up to 11 sweetness most of the time. But I think in nature, I'm never really wanting to eat an overripe fruit. They get mushy and, and musty. And I think this might be reminiscent of, of an overripe, um, at least in body and mustiness, or very, very underripe in terms of bitterness, blackberry. Yeah, I don't get the bitterness. It's definitely a f- kind of flat, a st- almost astringency. Mm-hmm. It, it's very medicinal. This beer is is like a blackberry cough syrup. Yeah, you know, I, well, I had some NyQuil last night, and and it's the only reason I'm making this comparison. But I, NyQuil was it was um, <laughs> NyQuil was better than this. <laughs> you know, I get on the fence about because I I don't, don't want to tear anybody down here, so. You know, there's some good stuff about this too. I'm gonna have one more sip, and then I'm gonna pivot and talk about some of that. Um, but the first things that jumped out to me were these more aggressive, for me, bitter and like you're saying, musty, musty notes that are jumping out. Yeah, uh, I don't have a problem with tearing a beer apart. I mean, I'm sure they're nice people. I'm okay. Yeah, I'm okay is... tearing a beer apart. I just don't want to tear a person apart in the process. Well, I don't know the guy that made this, so uh, I'm just gonna go for the beer, man. It's a bummer. It's it's medicinal, musty. Not sweet enough in the right ways. It's got a real saccharine, like simple syrup vibe mm-hmm. happening yeah, to it. Uh, it's just not a good sum of its parts. I would go ahead and say that this berry is rotted on the vine. There's a lightness to the body of this thing that makes it pretty easy to sip on. It drinks almost like like a sparkly lemonade of some kind in terms of body. I enjoy that. It's kind of refreshing. The flavor isn't great. I'm not into that, but I think if you're looking for an 8% beer that feels lighter that ticks or this ticks that box. So I'll give it that for sure. Yeah. There's a million beers that are 8% that taste lighter that I would rather consume. Well, that's, I, I mean, think, yeah, we could nitpick all day, but the, we're judging what we have in front of us. So like, yeah, know. but um, you brought up other beers, the Venn diagram of 8% beers that taste light and taste good. I think there's a huge overlap. And I think this one falls on the very much the side of being a high ABV, but just doesn't follow through with like enjoyable. It's very like, if you left a wine cooler in the sun. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, well, it sounds like two two pretty uh, obvious misses for, for you and I. Yeah, I don't think it's doing it for me. All right, well, let's give it out of 10. Mixed berry, creamsicle, 10 blower, Johnny Summers. It's like a 2.5. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's like a 2. It's not, not my thing. And maybe it's somebody's thing. And maybe you're that somebody, uh, which is going to tie into what I'm about to say right here, which is that... Once again, you're listening to Fresh Hop Cinema. If you get the chance to try mixed berry creamsicle, please do let us know. The easiest way to do that is probably just buy the beer, take a photo of yourself drinking it, and then tag us on Instagram at fresh underscore hop underscore cinema. That's right. And I didn't mention in the review, but we did get this at Spike's Bottle Shop here in Chico. So if you're in town and you want to go try it out for yourself, go do that. Uh, And if you try it and you think we got it wrong, or if you think we got it right, you have 
uh, brewery maybe you think we should review that we've never done, like Temblor before now, just message us on Instagram or send us an email. We're easy to get a hold of. The email is fhccast at gmail.com and let us know. And hey, if you like the show, go leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. If you work for Temblor, you're probably not going to do that. But everyone else, go do that. It takes two seconds, and it really helps other people discover us. So what we have next is a trailer for Violent Night. But do not worry. There are no spoilers in our discussion in this next segment. So do not change that dial. You ain't driving, are you? I steer a little, but the reindeer do my sword. (laughs) It's Christmas! What is it? That is a direct hotline of Santa Claus himself. I can talk to Santa. Welcome to your worst Christmas ever. You have $300 million. That's what I want for Christmas. Santa, are you there? I don't want any trouble, okay? Are you gonna help us, Santa? Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa? These bad men, they're all on my naughty list. Time for some season's beatings. I believe in you, Santa. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Fresh Hop Cinema, a show about the worlds of craft beer and film. If you're listening on the radio waves of KZFR 90.1 FM, you're only going to be hearing the first half of our show on the radio today. But if you'd like to hear the whole thing, go subscribe to Fresh Hop Cinema on Apple Podcasts or wherever quality podcasts are found. It'll be available to stream tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. So at the end of this, if you just can't get enough, go have a listen. Johnny Summers, Christmas is nearly upon us, which means our culture's collective consciousness is starting to conjure images of the big man all in red with a snow-white beard and his bag of toys. He's grinned and ho-hoed his way into our minds, hearts, homes, and yes, of course, movie screens. In fact, since making his first appearance in a British silent film appropriately titled Santa Claus way back in 1898, Chris Kringle has been spreading joy and Christmas cheer in more than 120 films. I was going to ask you that. How Would you have guessed it was that many? 120? More than 100, like 122, uh, I counted by hand. That feels right. Okay, well, 99% of the time, he shows up as the Santa Claus we all know and love. The reindeer, the sleigh, the chimneys, the cookies and milk, and the presents under the tree. But sometimes, my friend, if you believe in just the right way, you might just discover a different Saint Nick. One with cookies and milk, bag of toys, reindeer, to be sure. But also, a foul mouth, a war hammer, and a drinking habit that would earn him a top-tier slot on his own naughty list. Take this framework for Santa Claus, put David Harbour in the red suit, a family in peril, throw in some money-hungry terrorists, and you have basically the love child of Home Alone, Die Hard, and Bad Santa, or what director Tommy Workla calls Violent Night. With a script from Pat Casey and Josh Miller, Violent Night delivers an action-comedy holiday romp befitting 2022. The action takes place in the absurd mansion of the Lightstone family, a disgustingly wealthy family of very unlikable people, with the exception of Trudy, played here by Leah Brady. She's the young daughter of Jason Lightstone, played by Alex Hassel, and Linda, played by Alexis Louder. The latter two's marriage is on the rocks, and Trudy's one Christmas wish is that her parents wouldn't fight anymore so that they could be a family again. Just before bedtime on Christmas Eve, the waitstaff turn on the family, execute their security, and begin their hostile takeover of the Lightstone fortune. The coup is headed by a dastardly John Leguizamo, going by Mr. Scrooge. He's got an axe to grind with this family, and maybe more importantly, with Christmas itself. And just as all hope seems lost, it becomes clear that the Lightstones have an ace in the hole, or rather, 
a drunk and existentially lost Santa in the living room who fell asleep drunk in a vibrating massage chair. <laughs> Despite how silly this sounds, and admittedly it, it is uh, at times, but Violent Night manages to play as something between whimsical farce and genuine heartfelt drama at points, largely due to David Harbour's performance, I think. If you're unfamiliar with the name, he's probably most famous as like, I think probably Chief Jim Hooper on Stranger Things. Do you think that's yeah. his most? Yeah. Um, through his performance, the movie manages to ask the penultimate Santa question, which is far more interesting than the age old, do you believe in Santa? The question we get to marinate in the answer of is, does Santa believe in himself? <laughs> this movie first premiered a couple months ago in October at the New York Comic-Con before getting a wide release to theaters on December 2nd. It's a delightful little sleigh ride coming in at an hour and 48 minutes. Of course, it has a hard R for language and some brutal Mortal Kombat worthy gore. I really loved it. Uh, it's going to jump near the top of my list for probably favorite Christmas movies of all time. So for me, it's an eight out of 10. Johnny, what did you think of Violent Night? Man, I loved it. I was so here for this. It is all that you said, man. It's got this weird existential angst with Santa being completely so self-aware. <laughs> uh, David Harbour is just brilliant mm -hmm. as Santa Claus. And that's a brand new sentence that I didn't see myself saying at the beginning of this year. Um, you know, this movie in itself was self-aware and it was very referential to a lot of classic Christmas movies. If you look closely, there's some diehard homages, For sure. tons of tons of Home Alone homage, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is, is fantastic. Um, I think this movie knew what it was the whole time. Uh, just like uh, Tommy Warlocka's 2009 film, Dead Snow, which I nice. absolutely love. It was a great horror film. Uh, and it knew what it was. It didn't pull punches and it didn't compromise in its silliness. Uh, you know, the first run in I had with this director, he was making a film about uh, zombie Nazis in the snow. Mm -hmm. It was just so outlandish. And I mean, he kind of stays with that theme. And David Harbour as the through line mixed with over-the-top John Wick-style violence and hand-to-hand -hand combat, mixed with some actual heartfelt moments, I had a very similar thought that this is like maybe my... Did did a new Christmas tradition just get born right. out of drunk Santa, you know, relieving himself as he flies Man, over yeah. the, the Washington <laughs> Monument? The first five minutes of the movie, you know you're into something completely different and new and fun and I think this roller coaster ride just carried us all the way to the end. It didn't really let me down at any point. This is like a 9 1 for me. I was about this movie. Um, yeah, maybe my favorite Christmas movie now. It worked, man. It didn't take itself too seriously. It knew what it was. It played in the sandbox that it exists in so well that, man, two thumbs way up for me. So the movie, actually, the movie doesn't start, but the first time we see Santa is at a bar. He's, he's, he's clearly drunk. The bartender's like, do you want another one? He's like, well, I'm still vertical. So I'd like to change that. Very funny. We're all dead. Like you're saying, like it's a totally new vibe. And there's another Santa there who just does like dress up, which is all we know that he is at this point. And then he mm -hmm. leaves out the roof. And, and this is right before he is relieving himself across the town. Um, but we get this classic Santa in his sleigh shot where he's like, like the one person that didn't know it was really Santa's like looking up in awe and the music swells and you know he's supposed to be going like ho 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 and he circles back around and it's at that moment that he vomits down onto her because he's drunk and mm -hmm. it's just it's such a brilliant way of setting up that this isn't the same Santa in case you exactly. were exactly on 
Yeah, I mean, it takes kind of the only real film I can think of that is similar to that is Bad Santa. That was obviously about kind of a fictional mm-hmm. mall Santa. Uh, but yeah, to have the actual Santa Claus be so dysfunctional was such a unique take to see it on screen. And I can't imagine anyone else in that role. I think David Harbour played it so well. I don't even think it's necessary here. And I won't spoil what they actually do, but they give Santa's um, sort of, well, there, there's a couple angles he tackles it from, but there's a real sense of weight to what this guy has gone through in his like, you know, 1200 years of being alive. And we get some backstory. Um, and a couple of that is in like these vignettes of flashbacks mm-hmm. to him in a, let's say a different outfit. And yeah. I think that was so great too. Yeah, it was. You're like, you know, it makes sense. Maybe this guy wasn't always Santa. Did right. he have a life before this? Yeah. The ex- existential angle it could have gone either way. It could have really killed this movie, but I think it did nothing but make it more endearing. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, one of my favorite things that happens throughout this movie is kind of the one-liners. I have the same reaction to this that I had to uh, John Cena in Bumblebee circa 2018, where uh-huh. he's just so macho and over the top. At one point, there's like, a, I think it's a door. It's just a door. Could open it, but instead John Cena says, there's a door in my way and like shoots it <laughs> off the hinges. Like that vibe <laughs> There's so many one-liners in this movie. Like at one point, David Harbour basically kind of almost at the camera goes like Santa. He like hangs up the phone and goes, Santa Claus is coming to town. Like yeah. that stuff is so good. And it wouldn't work unless the tone of this movie hit just right. And it they do it really, really well, I think. Yeah, because I think it's a big gripe. I know from you particularly about the action movie tropes and like the trope things that people say that are just so cringe if the mood's off. Like if you're trying to act a scene super yeah. serious and you say something like that, it just doesn't fit. But I think tone is key in this movie and the fact that it remains consistent. And it's like you you do dip into some emotion, but the majority of this movie is a silly goose time and it lets you exist in that those type of lines totally work it reminded me of um the uh not the punisher the peacekeeper yeah um, peacemaker on hbo max that sense of humor that that show carries throughout again with john cena it just it all works where in a different movie or a different series some of those lines for a different character just would would make it completely unwatchable that it, it just works in this set and setting so my generosity towards not just the tone, but the performances kind of doesn't extend too far past David Harbour, like kind of like Trudy and Santa and like kind of her parents Uh and kind of John Leguizamo as Mr. Scrooge. There's some other characters like the henchmen and the auxiliary members of the family are pretty one note. And I think that's okay sometimes, but a lot of that didn't work for me here. A lot of the jokes didn't land for those, for me. How'd you feel about those characters? That's when it definitely felt the most traditional, like late eighties, early nineties action movie yeah. with, with the, the tertiary characters being kind of one note caricatures and just being there. Uh, I think a lot of the physical vi- action stuff worked. And I think a lot of the only one that really worked for me was the guy that played Krampus, who was kind of the psychopath of the group. that one did work for you. Yes. Oh, I thought man. Th- those were pretty, he was pretty funny, right. obviously, as just this over-the-top nut job wackadoo. Yeah. Uh, you know, you got to figure Leguizamo is Scrooge here, put together a crew, and he was like the wild card. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's playing with a very familiar uh, map, let's say. Uh, the, the pieces of this puzzle don't feel unfamiliar. A template, they all feel, if you will. Yeah. The template is very established, and I think... 
those characters, no, they didn't necessarily make or break the movie. I think they served the purpose they were intending, and the the main factors carrying this movie really were just the little girl and Santa, and I think that's kind of all you need. I think if you tried to add any more emotional depth other than the the mommy issues that everyone has, which mm-hmm. those worked for me. That whole family dynamic of, of that family worked for me. It was believable. Sure. Uh, I think any more depth than that out of a, an emotional arc for any like side or supporting cast in a movie like this, that would just muddy the waters and take away from the overall feel of the movie. So I think they were just present enough. One of the things that I find the most fun to talk about in a movie like this just to say a movie that treats death as so fun, uh, which I think even is not that you mentioned John wick. And I, I agree that the, um, the attention to detail when it comes to the hand to hand combat is there, but the tone mm-hmm. of these deaths is much different. It's very comical. And I think oh, yeah. my favorite things to talk about in movies like this is like our favorite deaths. Uh, and for me, and we don't have to get into some that feel spoilery, but I want to say one of my favorite things that happens is when the environment gets used to assist. And I think the, oh, yeah. the first, no, the second death we see on screen is one of the henchmen falls out a window and gets impaled on an icicle. Mm-hmm. And there's another death later on involving magic and some, and, and a, a, a configuration of bricks. Can I say that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that one's easily my favorite, but I was going to ask you if you had any that stuck out to you. Uh, at one point there was a, a fight scene, a pretty elongated fight scene mm-hmm. in a barn mm-hmm. where, um, there was a vast array of <laughs> barn implements employed sure. in the violence, as well as a finely sharpened large candy Great. cane. And I think the moment he put that candy cane in his mouth, I knew. knew what was going to happen. <laughs> we all knew. And I was just like waiting for it. Like I'm getting excited just talking about it. Like I'm smiling ear to yeah. ear. Um, so I think that scene, that whole maybe eight minute sequence of him in the barn versus, you know, 12 nameless assailants. Yeah. Was was probably the penultimate for me as far as the hand to hand combat went. Those were so good. Yeah, man, I mean, it's a great that whole sequence is great because yeah, you get a chance to be so inventive and there there's there's um, power equipment that gets used. There's rudimentary stuff like that. There's also a sequence yeah. that happens in an attic, which is mm. easily the most Home Alone. Oh, it's not even they they basically say that the character says it, and that yeah. sequence is a lot of fun too. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, okay. Well, how do you, I mean, what else we can, we kind of have, we have a weird amount of time where we can probably squeeze in one more little quick topic if we want to, for our radio listeners, but what else do you want to hit about this movie? Man, definitely the most violent Christmas movie. I mean, that wasn't a horror because they've mm, made a bunch yeah, of horror movies yep, about yep. Christmas, but this was, this was somewhere in that gray area of like a action horror comedy. It you was, think horror? I mean, not horror, more just like action, violent, horror in that it was very, very violent. Okay. So maybe like a hard R violent action Christmas movie. Um, Yeah, I was about it, man. I loved, it's not spoiler to say, but they did give Santa some background. I said that. uh, Oh yeah, it's definitely still not spoiler anything I'm going to say that it was just, I liked that so much. Yeah. I yes. want to. I want to talk more about that. Looking forward to that. Um, the fact that his reindeer could not stop pooping everywhere was just so sure. Like it's a it's a poop joke in a comedy movie, and mm-hmm. it's like this shouldn't land. But I mean, his just belligerent, drunken on a rooftop self, and oh, I loved all the scenes in the beginning with him like sampling people's liquor. 
Yeah, that's great. Like he's looking at the cookies and he's like, oh, that's fine and good. Oh, skim milk. Hey, right, there's the stuff. This is like super fancy, couple hundred euro. He goes, oh, pre-war. <laughs> yeah. Like it's so great. And when, and when he sits down with the bottle of or the glass of scotch that's yeah. like all cloudy from the milk, milk that was in it with a cookie. And care. he's just hammered and he's like, this, this pairs well. All right. Dude, well, I was losing. Once again, you've been listening to Fresh Hop Cinema, possibly on KZFR 90.1 FM. Violent Night is currently in a theater near you. If you've seen it and you have thoughts of your own, you can reach us on Instagram at fresh underscore hop underscore cinema or send an email to fhccast at gmail.com. And to our radio listeners, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next and every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. on KZFR 90.1 FM. And as a reminder, if you want to hear the rest of today's conversation, which includes spoilers for Violent Night, a review of that second beer from Tembler, and Hot and Bothered, head over to your favorite podcast app and subscribe to Fresh Hop Cinema. The rest of this episode will be available tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. And to those of you already listening on your favorite podcast app, we'll be right back. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Welcome to the Danger Zone. Johnny, tell them what the Danger Zone is, my friend. Man, it's where we spoil the movie. I get to swear a lot more because we're not on KZFR, and we get to talk about the movie like we all just walked out of the theater, and we're all just giggling and having a good time because that was fun. So consider that your final warning. If you haven't seen Violent Night, it is available. You can pause this podcast, go watch it, and come back and listen to everything we have to say, which is some stuff. So let's get into it. Violent Night. Okay, Uh, the chimney kill, the way he kills John Leguizamo's character at the end by shooting him up the chimney and like forcing his non-magical body to go through and blood spurt at the top was glorious. That was tremendous. Terrific. I mean, that was by far the most violent, like he was ended up totally dismembered. Like David Harbour's just holding a torso at the end. Yeah. Just kind of chuckling. Yeah. That yeah. was so rad. The way he was just like, <laughs> magic, Maniacal. fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. And I love like a weird take too, that he had to like, there was a like a gauge like like at the early in this movie as magic didn't work. Mm-hmm. Well, that was weird. Why do you think that was? So yeah, so like we find because he well, so he's scared. I thought you know for a second I thought it was like a nod to some sort of like erectile dysfunction thing. Like he was right. so drunk, like his he couldn't like shoot himself out the chimney, which he I literally didn't couldn't connect. get it up the chimney. Yeah, I didn't I didn't connect even that uh, analogy till just now. But but you know so that's what I thought. But then it turns out like he's not. Well, I guess he does kind of sober up, so it could be that. It could um, be that, but I also I like the maybe it was touches his nose. Like that's how he he's like because then that's a nice. Is that what that means? Like is that why Santa's always touching his nose? Like is that the folklore? I, I didn't know that Santa touched his nose a lot. Is that a thing? It's totally a thing. Yeah, like you see really? profile shot. Yeah, it's always him like tapping his nose. But I always thought that meant like what? I know, like he knows. That's maybe that's just me associating a nose with the word nose. Okay, can right? I don't know. Maybe I just have I never noticed that. You can Google a picture of Santa touching his nose right now, and I bet you once you see it, you'll be like, hey, yeah, that makes sense. All right, I'm doing it. But, I, yeah, I don't know um, what that was about, like why he had it at the end, like why his powers finally came back to him. Though I do think the movie takes an easy out and is like, uh, Santa's like, I don't even understand how it works. We don't have to explain it because I don't even know. So that's, I mean, all right, fair enough. I'll just go along with it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. They just added some lore. Sure. Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe an homage to the song pointing to his finger to his head because he knows when you're awake. Is that what it is? Uh, that's what they says on, it's like the first Google result. Do you see photos uh, of it though? Cause like, I just want to know if oh, you yeah. associate that image with Santa. Uh, what is it? Santa knows the narrator is awake and has seen him, but does not want him or her to tell tapping the side of his nose while looking at another person. It's like in keeping the eyes a secret. Is, 
it's a traditional gesture that means the secret is between us, yeah, not to let like, anyone in on it. Yeah. Like you can point, you can like do this right now. T tap your nose and point like you're pointing at somebody. Like, ah, I, like I, I know your thing. You know what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, I see you. I'll huh. keep your secret. That's like what that gesture means. Man, so he's got secrets and he says I'm a good boy. Oh, man. I yeah. don't know. Santa's getting kinky. Okay, what else about this movie? Well, I mean, Leguizamo pulled off a really good generic bad guy. Did his massive hatred of the holiday of Christmas work for you? I think it worked for me. It made sense. I liked that they gave it a bit of background. Like, they put a little meat on the bone instead of having him just be like, I hate Christmas. Like, did the why work for you? Did it? matter at that point yeah but the introduction of the why makes me want there to be a resolution like i was kind of mm. hoping he'd come around i know like i, I don't know I was, like maybe it's just blind naivete on my part but i i want like i wanted this christmas movie to have some of the redeeming qualities that i associate with christmas like forgiveness and cheer and like i think it would have been an even bigger subversion if at the very end the bad guy came around and like you know like here okay here's how the movie should have ended so, like, they're fighting, right? They're doing their thing. He's got the ice pick. He's stabbing him. And then he fights back, and, like, Santa delivers, like, what you think might be the killing blow. But then out of nowhere, like, that one henchman that ends up shooting Santa shoots him again. And then Leguizamo picks up his ice pick. And instead of killing Santa, he kills the bad guy because he's realized he's not mad at Santa at all. He's mad at himself. He's mad at his parents. And then, you know, drops the ice pick in his henchman, and then he reaches down. And he says something like, he was mine to kill. I don't know. And he grabs the list and he opens the list and the magic text comes up and then the red turns to green and he's on, he's on the nice list because he saved Santa's life. Mm. I don't know. That's, a, you know, I, I don't know who, it's not quite right. I don't want to workshop that a little bit. Yeah. I don't, I kind of liked it with him. I mean, I don't love a, a happy ending as much, but it would have, I was expecting it, especially when Leguizamo got his hands on the, uh, the, the naughty or nice list. I know. And he's like, you're actually Santa. He's like, I'm trying to tell you that. And I thought maybe that would do the trick. Yeah. I mean, maybe that is the subversion of like, we're all expecting the big bad to come around and have this redemptive arc. And instead he gets exploded. No, I, cause I think that's kind of what the movie is leading us to believe. Most of the subversion will only happen if, if it didn't do what we were expecting it to have already done. Like it set us up for him to be the bad guy. What if it was double subversion? Well, you'd have to justify that. I don't think it is. That's fair. I was happy with how it ended. I was yeah, too. It, it could have definitely gone different ways. Would that have made it rate higher for you? Um, yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, just yeah. a little bit more inventive storytelling, I think. But just like overall enjoyment, and you and you, you're after a happy ending, so that makes sense. But I mean, I'm still okay with a sad ending where one is where one is necessary. Take all quiet on the Western Front. I didn't need that to end happy. I needed it to end the way that the movie set it up to end, and that's how this yeah. one was set up. It was set up to end the way that it did. Um, and I, so no, I don't think I would have given it a higher rating. I might've enjoyed it more, but I don't think it, mm. I, you know, truthfully, man, I would have given it a lower rating if, if just mm. for some reason he was just like changed his mind, but if they had set the pieces in motion and that's how it ended, then for sure. Yeah. I, I just, that would have been, they'd had to have been careful with it. Cause mm -hmm. like, he, yeah, you have to set the pieces up right for that to work. I could see how it could have worked and it definitely would have, I was part of me at the end, I was kind of rooting actually for that to happen i was thinking like once he found out that he was the real santa i'm like is this gonna turn around like are they gonna right. like go have a beer and uh did not turn out that way but it wouldn't have surprised me but i think it would have cheapened it because yeah i agree that would have it would have taken some more setup and we would have needed yeah. mr scrooge's character to be built out a little bit more 
the other thing that I was hoping that didn't really go anywhere, I was hoping it would have, was when he gives his backstory, Mr. Scrooge, Leguizamo does, about mm. how when he was a kid, he scared the old guy down the stairs, he fell and he died in the hospital. I was hoping that was going to be like the grandfather of this family. Right. Because he's never around, so we don't know. We just know there's this rich family when he was a kid. We got all the presents. He went in to steal the presents. Then, you know, the guy died. And I was hoping it would be this redemptive, like, oh, like, this was the family. And he's coming back to, you know, get his vengeance finally for ruining his life, kind of. I don't know. But That would have been genius. That would have been a great plot point. To it just in. seems obvious to me. Like, that's and, – and maybe not get his vengeance. Either Either take his vengeance on the family and steal their money, which would close that arc. Makes total sense. Or in the course of meeting Santa, finding out he is the real Santa Claus, Santa absolves him of that Christmas sin, so to speak, and then they move on happily. One of those would have been fine. Um, I don't really understand the motivation for putting in the backstory of his that they did. We didn't need it. It didn't add much, I don't think. No, it didn't. Um, I do have one question. Did you think that Santa should have maybe had some sort of eternal life, like healing powers? I. I thought he was going to, and then he ended up having to like stitch himself shut. And I was like, I don't know, he's like immortal. But then is he I kind immortal, of figured out, or is he just is he is he ageless? Like he can still be injured. Clearly, yeah. Well, I mean, then the same way that like elves are immortal, but like in right, like Lord right, of the Rings right, lore, right, right? Let's say with that sandbox, like they're immortal, but you can still kill them. But as long as they are left alone, they'll live a long, long time, forever. Yeah. Um. I mean, I, I kind of I, I liked it just so he could take off his shirt and we could see his dad bod and tattoos. Dude, he had so many tattoos. He looked so cool, like Pretty straight cool. Viking, like Norse warrior. Yeah. So there was a lot ripped from like Thor, like f you know, Fat Thor. Mm-hmm. All the way down to the hammer, which I thought, you know, I, th I thought you could have picked a different thing than a hammer, maybe, but that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was either that or a sword, but then it makes sense that they picked that though, because there You're would not be find a sword a in the barn. Right. Yeah. I mean, depending on if it's your or my barn, there might be. Sure. But what if it was like a pitchfork? No, I don't know. The hammer's fun. The hammer was fun. Yeah. Sword was not believable. Hammer makes the most sense, I guess. Yeah. He was pretty pretty nice with it, too. He had some sweet hammer moves. I also wish that his hammer would have showed up sooner. Right? Like, I for a second, I thought that Miss Cla Mrs. Claus was going to show up. That would have... Yeah. I don't remember why I was thinking that. There was a one point where... I remember thinking, oh, like this is going to be her showing up. And I thought like maybe when, you know, when all hope was lost for him, she was going to like superhero drop out of the sky with his other hammer. And we were going to get like a claws, claws, you know, two claws versus a claws, claws on bad guys. Two claws. Yeah. Two claws. Claw. That would have been cool. Yeah. would have been great. Yeah. Yeah. They like cast like Gwendolyn Christie as his wife. That'd totally. be perfect. It'd be great. Yeah, um, I love that the the reindeer went back and got his backup bag. Though he thought mm, he, they mm -hmm. did, they ditched him. That was so cool. Yeah, I I don't see how, like to to your point of his vulnerability, like over the years, like, I'm sure he's gotten injured. Like even just by getting like kicked by a reindeer or something. Yeah, and like, something would have had to have happened. He might have died. And like his bag, it's the first time anybody's ever like taken his bag and burned it. I guess he's a backup bag, but like was that a back? Like how many backup bags does he have? Because at some point. What happens if Santa loses his bag of toys? Like no, nothing. What we Christmas, Christmas is over? just ends. Can, does Mrs. Claus magical? Can she like uh, manufacture magic toy sacks? Maybe somebody's got Man. to. We need a sequel to this movie. A prequel, really? Yeah. See where it all, where it all began. Why not? Let's do a Violent Night trilogy. Do you have anything else in this movie? 
I just loved it so much. I kind of just want to go see it again, really. Before we get to our second beer, how much was our first beer? Five bucks. Five bucks. I see that now in the notes. Great. Um, okay, let's play a fun sound so I can grab my second beer. Johnny Summers, what's beer number two? Beer number two is a chocolate pecan porter, again from Temblor Brewing. You guessed it. It's a porter. It's 7.5%. It's got 31 international bitterness units, or IBUs, if you're one of the hip kids that like to use the latest lingo. Sure. This full-bodied porter is the perfect way to step into autumn, brewed with pecan and cacao nibs. This beer is slightly sweet, balanced by a dark chocolate and roasty bitterness. All right. It's in the glass. I haven't smelled it, haven't tasted it, but it looks great. I'm really digging the creaminess of the head. It looks um, pretty... Pretty dark. I'm holding up to the light. I can barely see a little light coming through. It's a it's a burnt chocolatey brown with a caramel coffee head. Looks really great. Have you tried yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Significantly more enjoyable than the first. Well, that's great news. Why? Yeah. Um, so this is this is a very nice porter. Uh the chocolate adds notes of, you know, baker's chocolate, bitter, earthy, kind of rounds out some of those. It's definitely not sweet. And then the pecan, it's not as present, but pecan is kind of a, a, a modifying element, if you will. I think mm. the pecan is going to make the chocolate a little bit chocolatier and maybe a little bit nuttier. It's not so. going to stand yeah. out. I mean, if you need to stand out as a pecan, you either have to be in a pie or in butter. Or uh, be a walnut. So, am I right? Right. Team walnut. <laughs> hello. Um, Didn't you tell so, me one time your favorite nut's a peanut? No. Yeah, you did. No way. Yeah, you were like my. You said peanuts are your favorite kind of nut. Really? Yeah, and I remember thinking that seems so boring and lame. A big fan of the macadamia nut. I think this is before your Hawaii adventures recently. Like, this is a couple. Yeah. This is a I few mean, years ago. I've also always kind of been a huge cashew guy. You like that buttery kind of that buttery kind of flakiness? I like an oily nut. Ugh, I think cashews can can f right off. A lot of people don't They're like fine. cashews or um, a lot of people don't like pecans or walnuts because of like the squeaky, like chewy no, like I get skin. That. I yeah. love that, man. I just want to, I want, I like the sound of, you know, when you wear Converse All-Stars, but your foot's a little sweaty in the back, you go squeak, squeak when you walk. Goes, that's what I want in my mouth. And that's why I, that's why, that's why I endorse walnuts. Fair enough. <laughs> your team walnut all the way. Uh, doesn't matter. We're talking about chocolate pecan porter here and I haven't even tried it. So I'm going to try it. Fair enough. Get in there. Um, okay. Well, it is more enjoyable than the first. I agree. It's pretty sweet to me, I, but again, I'm coming off of that first one and a little bit of water. So, um, fairly round, fairly muted, not a ton of, no, that's not true. There is some bitterness there, but it's like a chocolate bitterness. It's like, yeah, like a dark mm -hmm. chocolate bitterness, which I'm not typically a fan of, um, but I'm not confident enough after my wondering to say that this is bad. I'll tell you that. Yeah. No, I like that. I do like the dark chocolatey bitterness. It's sweet, but it's not cloying. I think it's nicely balanced. It's a porter, so you're not going to get a ton of body. I think it's exactly as much thickness as it should be for the style. Um so any detracting for thickness is just preferential to this disliking the mm -hmm. style, which isn't fair. Um, but I think this is perfectly approachable. It's fine. It's not blowing my socks off for it's definitely more chocolate than pecan. Yes. Uh, it's 
chocolatey and roasty. And I think that's kind of where it ends. It's not very complex. No. I think it drinks fairly straightforward. It's it's approachable for sure. Um, I think it's a completely serviceable chocolate pecan porter. Would you say it's slightly above average or slightly below? I'd go slightly above. Okay. Well, for me, it's a six. For you, it's a 5.3 if I'm not mistaken. I haven't said anything yet. Well, what were you going to say though? Come on. Oh, I was thinking like like five, eight. Oh, that high. You were yeah. close. I was close. Yeah. Uh, add okay. two little lines to the three. Um, do you have anything else on this beer that you want to touch on? Definitely must, buy we this. We haven't spent enough time on this yet. You say definitely buy it? Buy this one over the first one. Like yeah. if you're going to grab one beer from Temblor, I would say this one. Um, I mean, there's, I mean, honestly, it feels like there's not much special about it. It's it's nice. I mean, if you're in the mood for that slightly sweet but not overly adjunct, like no one's going to call this a pastry anything. So I would say this is on the scale of like one being super bitter and 10 being the sweetest beer I've ever had. This is like a three and a half or a four. Yeah, I was going to say a two so or three, I mean, but yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty low on the sweetness scale. It has those inclinations, but it's not – Definitely not the the over overarching flavor profile. No, it's yeah, it's definitely more roasty and dark chocolate. Uh, I like it. I would drink this if I loved like brown ales and porters, and I was wanting, excuse me, wanting something that was nice and chocolatey but not too sweet. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Uh, I feel good about our coverage now. That feels better. Thank you for filling that extra time. No problem. Well, it's time, and it's I can't just say yeah, it's fine, and walk away, man. I got to tell you why it's yeah. fine. Um, all right. You got anything else on this beer now? Um, no, I feel good with my rating. Okay. Then let's move on to hot and bothered. bothered. Welcome to hot and bothered. I'm going to take a stab at this first. Cause I only have one thing. No, you know what? F it. I've got two things I want to touch on. Um, the first is a movie that came out this year. It's called troll. Do you know about Troll, Johnny? It's on Netflix. Yeah, it's on my list. I almost watched it last night. Okay, well, let me let me assist you in your decision-making. Um, it's a Norwegian film from director Roar Utag, who, I, if I'm not mistaken, did the uh, 2019 Tomb Raider with Alicia Vikander. I think it was 2019. Okay. Um, not a great movie. Tomb Raider wasn't. Um, and no. n- nor is Troll. Not great. But okay. somebody compared it to the original Jurassic Park mixed with the Matthew Broderick Godzilla. And that's what? pretty much troll. It's 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 a movie about this. Uh, well, it's about it's about people. It's about the earth. It's about the way we treat nature. People are drilling a hole through a mountain, and it pisses off this old dwarf, and it awakens them. And then that thing is going basically on a rampage. And it's our job, okay. and we are assisted as the audience by this scientist who she's a she's a paleontologist, basically um, studying dinosaurs in the area, and her dad who is a big time like mountain man and believes in all the old Norwegian folklore. So they enlist his help and try to figure out what's going on with this thing. And, and if it's evil or if it's not, or if we have to take it down or do we help it? Or it's sort of this manifestation of the metaphor for man versus nature and, and the ramifications of making the right or wrong decision. It's totally okay. Um, it's, let me double check. It's, uh, not terribly long. I don't actually see it in front of me. I'll find it, but it's like a, it's like a 90 ish minute movie. Um, it was fun to see. I wrote something in my letterboxd review about it being, or about why m- more American movie makers don't incorporate folklore. Mm. There's something so, so, um, I don't know the right way to phrase this. Like 
familiar about something to, to take something so familiar and, and like ingrained in humans. Like, I just feel like I understand troll lore, like mountains or the spirit of nature, like that stuff and use that to build a story around. And it could be as a villain or it could be like the, the healing forces of nature. I'd like that kind of stuff. And I don't know why more American filmmakers don't utilize that in their storytelling. It's a big missed opportunity, I think. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, that that's probably a testament to kind of an American perspective. Yeah. Uh, 101 minutes, by the way. Um, okay. So yeah, just, you know, hour 41. Um, but like a decent watch. It's on Netflix. Um, like a fun way to pass a little bit of time. I think the effects on the troll are pretty cool. He looks looks pretty awesome. So should I, Johnny Summers, watch this? I don't know. I mean, I think you got other stuff you should watch first. Fair. So no. Yeah. Okay, not not a ringing endorsement, but I appreciate the uh, filtering of the new Netflix content because yeah. it has been on the forefront of my brain. I've been wanting to get it to, yeah. get to that. It's like a five out of ten for me. Okay, okay. So Fair enough. The last thing I have is that I've been uh, under the weather, and I wanted to get some pho yesterday. If you don't know that, which I didn't know uh, for a long time, that's a soup. It's a type of soup. It is a Vietnamese-style soup. Mm-hmm. And I was well, craving some. amazing. yeah. It's amazing when you can get it, which is not on a Monday, at least in our town, because every place that I tried to go to was closed to the point that I got so frustrated. I was like, I'm just going to go to the grocery store and I'm going to make some kind of soup. And I settled on ramen and I made a pretty decent ramen and I don't make ramen often. I've made like one other time, but it's one of those dishes that once you look at it, you can kind of see what's in it. Mm -hmm. So I just picked some stuff and like, I'll put this in it. Um, and I use an instant ramen as a base, like a Trader Joe's kind of not like top ramen level, a little bit higher than that, but not like bougie ramen. And mm-hmm. then I just dressed it up with some beef and eggs and um, kale and microgreens and some jalapenos and some um, some gochujang sauce. It was pretty good, man, to be honest. Oh, some mushrooms, of course, some, some shiitake mushrooms. It was just pretty solid. So I'm going to pat myself nice. on the back and timestamp this as the time that I made a pretty decent ramen. So you didn't make pho? No, no. Couldn't make pho. That's okay. What's the difference? Is it the broth? No, it's a lot. There's a lot of differences. Yeah, because um, I know like The pho, noodles is a big difference. Noodles for sure. And I know like pho broth takes like days. Like yeah. they have the, the broth just going. A lot of pho broth is is like beef reduction, like like bone broth kind of, but they'll use like like congealed fat cubes from different animals. And so, yeah, it's, it's mm-hmm. kind of a reduction. Like, yeah, it takes like four to six hours to kind of get it going. Yeah, at like minimum. I've heard of people doing it for like, they just have a pot of broth, like a vat that they just keep adding stuff yeah, to. Sure. That's wild. But that's yeah. dope though. I'm, I love that. Dude, you know, as long as it makes you happy and it tasted like what you wanted to taste like, it's a win. It was pretty good, man. Yeah. I love that. All right. What's up with you? I got a bunch of stuff. It depends on how much you want to hear about, man. Oh, it's yeah. all up to you. No, um, I want to hear. Well, I know I, no, I want to hear. I'm seeing your list right now. I don't know what some of these things are. Um, but I definitely want to hear about most of it. So go. <laughs> All right. I'll just start at the beginning of the list. I have a podcast recommendation. Uh, I am a big Tom Segura fan. I don't know if you are Max. I think we've talked about it briefly. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, but I'm a big fan and he does a podcast with Burt Kreischer and Burt Kreischer was absent uh, on a recent episode and they had a guest host and it was uh, Quentin Tarantino. So Tom Segura sat down for, you know, an hour and a half ish chat. And it was really fascinating radio, uh, listening to Quentin Tarantino talk about movies and history and like 
just little things about like how Pulp Fiction got made. Um, if you're a fan of Tarantino's work or Segura or both, uh, I think it was well worth a listen. It was some fascinating stuff. Uh, I learned a lot about a little inside baseball on how the movie industry works and also um, about how some of my favorite scenes and favorite, you know, even favorite movies came about. So very informative, entertaining stuff there. Um, and speaking of entertainment, wait, that's two bears, one cave. Yes. Two bears, one cave. I think, I don't remember. It was about three weeks ago. I haven't been listening to podcasts. I miss it. Uh, why not Johnny? I'm so behind on podcasts, dude. Fuck. I just checked my downloaded. There's like 38 podcasts that I haven't listened to that I used to listen to every single week. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I haven't had time for a damn one of them because you sent me on this journey. Uh, down this book called Empire of the Vampire, which I immediately downloaded because it sounded dope. Started an Audible premium trial and everything. And my yeah. God, I finished it this afternoon. I'm 27 fresh. Seven hours? Uh, yeah, right Something around. Like that. Uh-huh. I am in the afterglow of finishing that book. And my God, the last two hours of that book were curveball after curveball. I know. Talk about a crazy ending. Uh, loved that book. Loved that recommendation. If you like horror books, uh, high fantasy, uh, vampire stuff, it was a really unique blend of high fantasy lore type elements where like you have this world building with the rules and the the way everything is and the way things people have to do things for things to be a certain way uh, mixed with like a vampire-ish through line. One of the more unique high fantasy books and i'm going to classify it as high fantasy because sure is it i don't know no it, it it's is free it absolutely is okay but usually high fantasy has other creatures and like horror would be more traditional like class this part of me thinks it's classified as horror because it's just vampires but i don't we know did, we did something on patreon years ago where we did our top five high fantasy movies actually we did our top mm. five fantasy movies and within that conversation we made a delineation between high fantasy and low fantasy and i won't go into that now but i will say that i think that at the top of all this we have high fantasy and then in a branch we could also have horror high fantasy which is what this would be mm. okay well if the, i mean that makes total sense and i i believe you but i gonna need to look into more horror high fantasy sure. because man this book was really enjoyable one of the best books I've read in the last few years, yeah. and uh, I've been reading high fantasy and horror novels since I was in junior high. Um, I'm immediately looking into this guy's other works. It's, it's I'm so into it, man. But great recommendation if you enjoy horror, high fantasy, vampires, lore, fucking Dungeons and Dragons, anything like sure. that. This is going to be a book that you're into. Yeah, like it's just it's in that world, like. The, the writing is illustrative without being too wordy. There's no over narration. Like I, one of my biggest gripes in high fantasy is when someone spends three pages describing a fucking valley yeah. and we're just trying to get to the next event in the plot. Um, there's none of that really good writing. Uh, I read the guy's document bio on his website and he's just hilarious dude. He like listed the number of days he has left to live and also just says he hates happy endings. Sure. Kind of like, creepy there's like thirteen thousand three hundred something days left to yeah. live in his yep. his bio i'm like all right we're dealing with a unique cat here uh 
but I am going to start some of his other books because I just can't get enough. The sequel to Empire of the Vampire comes out in sometime in 2023. They don't have a firm release date, but until that time, he's got at least two more, maybe three series of books that he's written, and he's been a, a co-author on, on multiple projects, so I am going to be getting some of those. Which leads me to my next thing. It's kind of a hot, man. It's Go. it's sh- shitty book narrators. Okay. How is that a hot? Oh, hot like I'm I'm angry about it. You, so no, it's I'd a bother. bothered. Yeah, it's a bother. <laughs> just, I don't know how this fucking podcast works. Just, I just who cares? Yeah, there's bad book narrators. Don't listen to those books. Dude, but like I looked on Audible to see if there was because sometimes Audible has multiple versions of a book with different narrators for uh-huh. some reason. Uh no such luck with any of his other books. Like, there's two series I want to read. I think it's the Nevermore series, and then there's another yep. one yep. Uh, about a, a, a female assassin that sounds badass. Um, but, man, I listened to the preview of, of the Nevermore series, and I'm just like, this dude's voice is going to be so distracting. You don't like, think you get used just, to it? I'm going to try. I yeah, have okay. my Audible credit. I'm not canceling my free membership. I'm right. going to get that credit, sure. and I'm going to... I'm going to try that first book because that one sounds, the Nevermore series sounds way more high fantasy and a little bit less like modern day, like um, uh, Japanese mafia almost type vibe. I'm going to listen to both the previews again and make a a decision. I'll update you next week, but I think I'd get used to it. I don't know. I'm going to try it. And if it fails, I'm just going to have to buy the hard copies and read them like by candlelight or something. Fair. So, yeah, shitty book narrators, man. A weird voice or, like, too much mouth noise or uh-huh. noticing someone breathing. Like, immediately I could just notice that dude, like, before every sentence he would go. Yeah. Take, like, a sharp inhale. I'm like, what are you doing? Too. You got to not. You gotta. That's the editor not doing their job. Oh, really? Okay. I mean, probably. You, you know, you don't gonna... hear in our podcast is every time I go, that never comes no. through. That one did because I'm trying to make a point here, but, you know. Yeah, I think that, that, I mean, you can, I'm sure I've heard from the person that recommended me that series, um, that the editor or the narrator on the next one is not up to par, but I think the gripe you're talking about specifically with the breathing is, is editing. Damn. Get a, what is it? A noise gate? Yeah. Noise gate might help. Or just stop fucking breathing, bro. Yeah, hold your breath, dude. Honestly, you can't hold your breath and read a whole novel. What, what does miracle phone mean? <laughs> miracle phone, man. Did you know that my phone is magic? All right, no. It fuck it is. It was like, remember about two months ago, I told you my front-facing camera, rear-facing camera, and flashlight all just stopped working. I definitely remember that with vividness. Yeah, that's why I was like, fuck, I need you to take pictures of the beers because my phone's broken. I got to okay. get a new phone. Did everything in the book to try and fix it. Uh, everything I could find online, updated the software, dumped all the unnecessary apps, literally Everything I could find on like Reddit and a couple other Apple forums, uh-huh. um, nothing worked. And one night about a week ago, I was having drinks with Lori and Andy. Shout out Lori, Patreon member. Sure. Uh, and my phone died completely. And it stayed dead because I stayed out for another like hour and a half, two hours. And I came home. I plugged it in. And this was two weeks after I'd done anything to it. Uh-huh. As far as fixing this, uh, charged it up and like went to grab it to like go get ready for to do something. And I was in a dark part of my house and like just reflexively, I hit the the flashlight. 
flashlight worked again out of nowhere. Was it the first time you'd turned your phone off? No, I power cycled it maybe 20 times in the process of updating it because that's, you know, IT 101. Um, No, apparently I needed to let the battery die and like stay dead for an hour or two because once it finally regained charging and kicked on, the camera worked, both cameras worked, flashlight worked, but like my face ID still didn't work Uh for whatever reason. Then they just came out with the newest like iOS 16 uh, uh-huh. download. Downloaded it, phones back to 100. Face there ID go, works man. everything. Like what the fuck? It's so weird. Well, that's that's technology for you. <laughs> yeah. I you guess. ever had anything weird happen like that? Just shit, just stop working yeah. and then start all working all the time. Again? It's just you know nothing's reliable, and we're just all kind of. You know, I've never fixed anything. It fixes itself or it's broken, and I get a new thing. Yeah, and I, I mean, took I it to mean, the I mean, technology shop. wise. I took it to the iPhone shop and they were like, no, it's broken. You need a new motherboard. It's going to cost like $300. Dude, like, they're well, I guess incentivized, I man. Plan obsolescence. Come on now. I guess, but man, I was like, I just got to not have a camera then. That's my life. I will carry a flashlight and not have a camera. Well, I'm looking forward to all the pictures I will see from your back in action phone. Absolutely. Tons of selfies. Just going to bombard you. Uh, last but not least, I started White Lotus and I can't decide if it's complete shit or not. So I will get back to you on that. That all right. Well, I was at least thinking you'd have an opinion. I've watched one episode. I'm like super stoked to watch more of it, but I can't. What's tell White if Lotus? It's... So White Lotus is a series on HBO Max. And Who directs it? it? Who's in it? Give me the synopsis. Give me like a so brief thing. It's the White Lotus is a resort in Hawaii, and it is centered around like the resort staff and also the patrons of the resort. Um, it plays as kind of a dark, relational, rom-com-y type. I, I can't tell you exactly what kind of show it is yet because the tone was not fully established in the first episode. Uh, I will butcher her last name, but Alexis Diodario, I believe, is her last name. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think she's it's, in Alex- this- it's Alexandra, I think. Alexandra. All right. Yeah, I said I was going to butcher it. Uh, and then, like, Steve Zahn's in this. There's a few recognizable people. Um, kind of, like, interesting in their character development and, like, the way everyone's interacting. I couldn't tell if it was going to be cheesy, like, soap opera-ish or but there's potential for this to be, like, a murder mystery. So the jury is legitimately completely still out on this for me. All right. Let me give you this. An all-star cast head to a resort and unleash their worst, most privileged impulses. The series is a sharp social satire following the exploits of various guests and employees of the fictional White Lotus Resort chain whose stay becomes affected by their various dysfunctions. Uh, a week in the life of vacationers is unraveled as they relax and rejuvenate in paradise each passing day, a darker complexity emerges in these picture-perfect travelers, the hotel's cheerful employees, and the idyllic locale itself. Well, there you go. Great. Well, that sounds social satire. I'll check it out. Um, yeah, so far the first episode, it was it was very intriguing. There was uh, a lot of elements of entertainment that I'm not used to imbibing in, mm-hmm. which maybe it kind of drew me towards it. Also, I've been watching a lot of Yellowstone, so I might be like primed and ready for a drama. You I don't, don't like Yellowstone. I love Yellowstone. You don't. I do. No, you're on record as saying you do not. Yep, I'm completely addicted to it. I remember like a long time ago I changed that shit. Well, not on record you didn't, my friend. Oh, really? What changed? 
No, dude, for sure I did. Because I started watching again. I remember I watched the first season, like six episodes of it, couldn't get into it, abandoned it. And then I thought I remember talking about getting back into it. I don't think so. Well, I am. Hard. All right. Well, congrats. I th- thanks. I think it was during... It wasn't during the pandemic. It was post-pandemic. But yeah, we started it again and just committed and got super invested and watched like four seasons of it very quickly. Well, great. Back to White Lotus. Uh, season one came out in 2021 back in the summertime. And this second season, which you will catch up to eventually, um, came out in October. So just a couple months ago on uh, Yeah, I on think HBO. it just just ended. They just had their season finale. So Makes sense. Um, yeah. Uh, maybe you will start it tonight we can watch together and and swap opinions and and talk goss that's yeah we'll spill the tea sounds great man right on that's all i got though that was a lot but that's it all right well as usual the show wouldn't be what it is without the support of bailey minority thanks to all of our folks on patreon go check out the handlebars happy hour if you haven't and my name is max minority my name's johnny summers drink some beers watch some stuff that makes you happy make some damn ramen but most importantly be good to yourselves we'll see you next week This is Fresh Hot Cinema.